you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We will be finishing Acts chapter 2 this morning, 40 through 47. Let me read for us, starting in verse 40. Luke writes, And with many other words he bore witness, speaking of Peter, and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, please bless our time in your word this morning uh, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here we have the birth of the church. We're strolling through a handful of passages here on the birth of the church. At this point, not only did God add 3,000 people to the church the very first day, but He continued, so the passage says, to add daily to their number. The church continued to grow and grow and grow. In fact, the church grew so much that the culture began to change drastically study a little bit of history and you'll see over the next two or three centuries as the church grew and grew it displaced many of the social and societal norms of the culture surrounding it like it genuinely had an impact on the culture it changed things i think it's a appropriate for us to question why why like if we, if we really believe the kingdom has come in Christ and then now us who are His followers now are to bring about kingdom change where we go, we need to ask the question, why? Why has the kingdom, why did the kingdom become a greater reality so much so that the culture around it began to change? Why? What was happening? What was God blessing What was God working through? I think at the very outset, the thing we observe is this, is that they were attractively different. They were attractively, they were attractive, but they were different. And the question is, what made them so different? What made them stand out so much from the culture around them. Unfortunately, over the past, at least in the States, in the past 
half a century, probably at least 60, 70 years, maybe longer. The things that we have said make us stand out. I think in, in some, I'm not going to give examples, but in some examples, we are just simply, it's just not what Christ was talking about. The things that we trumpet and we hold on to, I think sometimes we're out of line with what Christ would have us trumpet or hold on to so dearly. So without diving down that road, I want us to ask today, what were they doing? What were they trumpeting? What were they holding tightly on to? These are the things that not just from a pragmatic sense began to change the culture, but clearly these are so foundational that God, through His Spirit, as soon as the Spirit inhabits His people, they begin doing these things. And so what are they? What made them so different? The first thing I want you to note here is that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. This is something that made them different. They were devoted Let's do a little bit of a word study here, if you'll humor me for a second. The Greek word used here for devoted means to persist or persevere in these things. And they were committed to these things. And then we translate that word for us that devote. Devote carries on this, this idea of persistence and perseverance and commitment to something. But devote also helps us because the idea of persisting and persevering requires more than just, uh, well, I'm just going to persevere in this. I'm just going to commit to this. We translate it devote because you will not persist or persevere in something unless you give it most or even maybe all of your resources. You will not persist. You will not persevere in something. See, devote carries this idea here of what they were doing is they were devoted, they were giving their resources to these duties. The idea here of this devotion in verse 42 is that they set themselves aside to these tasks. You took it, instead of being for these purposes over here, we're going to take it from that and we're going to set them aside, I'm going to set myself aside for these duties, for these tasks, for these responsibilities. They spent most, or maybe in some cases, all of their resources on these things. What's great in this passage is you see two of the greatest resources being used for these tasks, time and money. Think of it this way. They gave themselves away to these duties. They gave themselves away to these duties. I don't know if you realize this, but whatever you give yourself away to will be the thing that you persevere in. Whatever you give yourself away to will be the very thing you persevere in. We all have things that we're persevering in very well right now. It's because we've given ourselves to those things. So this is not a matter of can I persevere or can I not. It's not a matter of can I persist in something or be devoted to something or not. We're all devoted to something or multiple things. 
So we're able to be devoted. It's a matter of whatever we are giving ourselves to is the thing that we persevere in. But here's what I want you to see, is that to give yourself away in the way that they are doing here is radical selflessness. That's the general principle that we see in these just few verses, is that what set them apart was radical selflessness. The idea of devotion and what they were devoted to displays for us radical selflessness. This is what made them so different. The culture around them was about nothing but selfishness. Remember, apart from the gospel change of Jesus Christ, we can be about nothing but selfishness. Even helping the lady across the road is for your own glory unless you've been set apart by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is selfishness. What sets them apart is radical selflessness. Instead of being selfish about their time, they gave it to teaching, to fellowship, to praying, to breaking bread. Instead of being selfish with their money and possessions, they gave to anyone who had need. They were giving themselves away even, hear me, to hard things and to hard people. You say, well, where, do you, where do you get that? Well, first of all, people are just hard in general. But remember, who's present here? Who's present? The beginning of the church. It's not just a bunch of people who know each other and like each other. This is people from around the world who speak different languages. Certainly some of them, I'm sure, went back home, but many of them clearly would have stayed. They're living in community with people that are not like them. And they're devoted to these things, even in the midst of hard and difficult situations. So what makes them so attractively different? First thing I want you to see this morning is be radically selfless. Giving yourself away. Be radically selfless giving yourself away. So let me ask this question. Everybody. What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? What are the things you're devoted to? We live in a place and a, a time and a culture where there are so many different opportunities, right? So many different things. But this is not just, you know, applicable to our culture. It's applicable to all cultures ever since the, the garden, the beginning of mankind. There are many opportunities, many things we can be devoted to. So many opportunities for our kids. So many good things. So many even bad things. Many opportunities for our single years. Where we have not children and such to care for. So many different opportunities. So many different things to be devoted to. So what are you devoted to? Let me ask you a different way. What is it that you're giving yourself away to right now? What is it that you gave yourself away to this week? To making your children happy? And whatever that looked like? To sports for your kids? To education for them or yourself? To social issues? To the study of the word? To keeping your house clean? To the latest diet or health fad? To the body of Christ? To a pristine yard? To a prayer? To paying the bills? 
What were you devoted to this week? What did it look like? Let me ask you some more diagnostic questions here. What is it you spend most of your thoughts concerned about? Where does your mind go to when there's nothing grabbing your attention immediately? What is it that consumes your emotions? What gets them wrapped up real quick? It gets you most fired up. These are the things that you are probably devoting yourself to. And let me ask the same question in the same vein. What are you leading your children to give themselves away to? Here's my fear. For, for men and women in general, but particularly for our church, is that we become or have become so overwhelmingly devoted not to bad things, but we give too much of ourselves to good things instead of faithful devotion to the best things. I doubt many of us are devoted to things or causes or, or habits that are evil in and of themselves. But when we're devoted and giving ourselves to certain things, instead of being faithful to all that God's called us to, we have some kind of idolatry going on over here. Usually this happens when we're just fit and, and, and fixed on building our own kingdoms. That's why we begin to put an emphasis on things that, that are either not the best things or certainly not balanced with everything that God's called us to be devoted to. So I want to ask this question. So at this time of the birth of the church, immediately following the inhabiting of the Spirit in man's heart and life. This time when they experienced so much blessing from the Lord and things began to change and the culture was changed around them, what were they devoted to? The first thing is this. Give yourselves away to the Word. They were devoted to the Word. Like They were devoted to the Word. They were committed to the Word. They were giving themselves away to the Word. Look at 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. See, listen, the content for the church is clearly to be God's revealed truth. This is our focus. This is, should be pervasive across all things that we do as the church. And the church must be a place, not just Sunday mornings, but the life of the church must be a place where God's word is explained and proclaimed. The personal study of the word. Adherence to the word. The teaching of the Word from your elders. The application of the Word in wisdom from your leaders as well. The exhortation of the Word in community with other believers. All of these aspects are a part of devoting yourself to the Word. Listen, again, understand that the Spirit comes into God's people and the first things they do is being devoted to the Word. That should tell us something. You see, your commitment to this teaching is foundational to the growth and spiritual health of the church. Not just yourself, but to the community of believers as well. Listen, a church will only be as healthy and as strong as each of its members are committed and devoted to the Word. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says this, 
Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up upon, right, so grow upon your salvation. So that by it you may grow upon your salvation. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk. John MacArthur said this, A believer should count it a wasted day when he does not learn something new from or is not more deeply enriched by the truth of God's Word. Parents, did you hear that? Whatever age your child is. Did you hear that singles? How about children? Did you hear this? Listen, every one of us, put down the remotes, put down the homework, put down the sports practice, put down Facebook, be devoted to the Word. Not to five-minute podcasts from your favorite preacher or the latest blog. That is not what it means to be devoted to the Word. Be devoted to studying the Word. Those things can be helpful. They can help spur you. They are helpful in understanding. Certainly, I'm not putting them down. But being devoted to the words means, listen, if that's all you do, if that's what your word looks like, then you're giving the word the same devotion as maybe you give to brushing your teeth. Be devoted to the word. They were devoted to this teaching, right? The teaching of the apostles that we have now in the Word, the, the writings of the scripture and the scriptures. So let me ask you, what do you think this devoted looks like? It doesn't look like just listening to a sermon, discussing it in a house gathering, and then moving on. It looks like studying the word, getting into the word, remembering the word. Discovering its intricacies and what it means and how things are connected and how this applies to this part of my life and this part of my life and how it applies to my emotions and, and how this applies to my thoughts and my actions and how I treat my neighbor and how I treat those I'm in community with. Listen to Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. I mean, certainly, it's an Old Testament prophecy, but these are strong words and words that we need to hear today as well. Many of us, are, our spiritual stomachs are just fat on garbage instead of a healthy and powerful because of the word of Jesus Christ. We're so filled with junk. We wonder why we can't connect dots or we don't see things in our kids when we should see them or, or know the answers when we need to make and apply wisdom and situations or why we're not humble and we're prideful because we're not filling ourselves with the Word. The Bible says it's the very bread of life. Someone I read this week said this, the most noble are still those who search the Scriptures daily. It's not those who have it all figured out. It's not those with titles. It's not those in authority. And it's not those who aren't. It's those who search the Scriptures daily. Again, it's in here that we find the apostles' teaching. You know, it almost to me seems selfish when I think about like 
giving myself away to the Word because what happens, right? So much changes inside. So much changes in what comes out. It almost seems selfish to devote myself to something so precious. They were devoted to the Word. Second thing, give yourself away to the local body. Give yourself away to the local body. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. What is, what is fellowship? What's, what's going on here? Fellowship is the spiritual duty to stimulate each other to holiness and faithfulness. Fellowship is this idea, this spiritual duty of helping each other grow in sanctification, in holiness, faithfulness, becoming more like Christ, giving ourselves to this. Listen, you have to be both present and prepared in order to do this. Present and prepared. Again, they're giving themselves away to this task. That's what I want you to walk away with. There's this idea of partnering and sharing together. Listen, those who receive Jesus Christ become partners with Him and with all other believers. And then this gets lived out in a local community of Christians. Certainly, there's aspects that move beyond a local church and supporting missionaries and other places and supporting Christians who are standing up for other causes. Those, those are all important to have their place as well. But the most practical, the most basic understanding of fellowship happens within the local church. Now listen, the joy of this fellowship can be lost through sinful neglect of its duties. The joy of this can be lost. And to quote John MacArthur again, he has a fine way of saying things very clearly. He says this, It is absolutely inexcusable for a Christian to fail to participate in the life of a local church. In fact, those who choose to isolate themselves are disobedient to the direct command of Scripture. Now listen. Giving yourself to the life of the local church, like that looks different, right? Different people, different seasons of life, different abilities, different such, certainly. So we don't want to, we want to be careful that we don't say, okay, well, commitment look has to look X, Y, Z, this, that, and the other, and all of that's based on tradition or what we're most comfortable with. But here's what it does look like, very clearly. Giving yourself away means laying down your preferences, your desires, and giving yourself away. It looks like that. It looks like being devoted to. So whatever that looks like for one person might look different than the other person. So we can come up with whatever excuses we want. Well, I just don't get along with these people, or I just don't understand the way they talk, or well, I don't agree with these people. Listen, listen, the people in Acts 2 are people from around the world, from completely different cultures, different languages, different ways of life. And they're devoted to each other, committed 
to each other. Made me think of, as I was studying this, made me think of Haiti. I went to Haiti. Actually, every time I went to Haiti, this has been true. Whenever we teach a seminar, we'll tell the local pastors and the people in the area to show up at noon. That's the start time for the class, or 11 o'clock, pick your time. And it literally might be one or two hours past that time that they finally show up. And you're going, I I, I thought it was going to start at noon. I remember the first time this happened. I'm just like, so put out. Like, what? Come on, I flew, drove, right? Drove. Flew across the pond, the, the smaller pond, to, uh, uh, to teach the Bible. Can't can we be here on time? I mean, how's that for impacting unity? How's that for being devoted to each other when that kind of reality is, is there? But upon discovery and time, and realized that they weren't being rude, they weren't being disrespectful. And if I would have just taken the time to listen, that I would have understood more quickly. Some of them have jobs that are hard to get, and literally their life or death depends on this. And they're, like, it's not just, oh, the convenience of extra money depends on this. No, like, life and death depends on them being committed to their job. So maybe they're an hour late because their boss simply would have nothing else. Some of them just culturally have a much more relaxed view of time. They weren't intending to be rude or disrespectful. It was just their more relaxed view of time. Some of them simply don't have cars they can jump into and be there in a second. Some of them might have to ride two hours jumping from one motorcycle to the next motorcycle or from one Honda Accord to the next Honda Accord. See, but just taking the time to listen and understand where they're at, understand what's going on in their culture. My interpretation was wrong. You see, when it comes to fellowship, if we take the time to listen, take the time to understand, instead of lobbying our judgments, instead of withholding our grace, We can build fellowship virtually in any context. Listen, many of us are more devoted to, again, not bad things, but we make them bad things when they get inappropriate devotion. Let me give you two examples. First, parents, and then I'm going to talk to everybody else. Christian parents will oftentimes make sure their child doesn't miss a practice, doesn't miss an assignment. But let me ask you this question. Do you make sure with everything that you have that they are devoted to the Word? That they're spending time in the Word? That they're understanding the Word? Another another example, do you you make sure that they're devoted to dying to self for the body of Christ? Laying down their lives. Are you having conversations about that? Moving them, helping? I know it takes the Spirit's got to work inside them. I get it. But part of the Spirit working inside them is going to be using you, Mom and Dad, to help them this direction. They're not going to get there on their own, most likely. 
everyone else. Christians, well, Christians will, will make sure we don't miss a day of work or a homework assignment or paying a bill. But do we make sure that we're devoted to the Word, that we're devoted to dying to self for the body of Christ? Listen, I didn't say, I did not say, make sure that you attend Sunday morning and every time the doors are open. That's arguably legalism. What I'm talking about is much more. I said, leading ourselves, leading our families to die to self for the body of Christ. That's the gospel version of go to church every time the doors are open. Again, parents, what are we leading our children to do? And leading ourselves to be devoted to? Listen, your children will share these same devotions, many of them, the rest of their lives, until they are rescued from this foolishness. Again, we have so many things that we can be devoted to, and many good things that we should even give time to. But in what order, in what place do they fall? That is the question that I think this passage answers, at least in part. So listen, you can have joyful fellowship in just about any community of believers, but what does it take? Radical selflessness. Well, but, 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 radical selflessness. But, well, there's this over here. Radical selflessness. Just to take this a step further, fellowship is not just simply coming together on Sunday. Again, it's devoting your life. It's giving your life for the good of other people. It's dying to your preferences for the good of these people. It's simply getting over yourself. It's making room in your schedule, creating time to give yourself away. It's putting down your presumptions and listening to those in the body around you, trying to understand them, seeking to be gracious. Listen, on that last point, our culture needs this desperately. People to listen, just to shut their mouths and listen. Instead of lobbing grenades across the line. But listen, if we don't learn how to do this in the church, it's not going to happen out there. Why do they make such a difference in the culture? Why do things change? Why they, we're so pervasive. Because this was happening inside the body of Christ. Forty-four and forty-five says this, and all the believers were together and, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Look at this, them giving up their resources, their physical resources to care for each other. No, this wasn't socialism, it wasn't communism. It was them living communally in a way that was caring for each other. Again, giving themselves away to their brothers and sisters. But also note that they were together, they were unified that's the idea here in 44. And they cared for each other's needs. Number three, give yourself to being Christ-centered. Give yourself to being Christ-centered. 
Okay, where'd you get that out? They broke bread. What's that mean? To remember Christ. Because every time they got together, that their community was centered around the idea of Christ. It was centered around particularly the idea of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, His death, His atoning work on the cross. You see, their fellowship, understand this, their fellowship, the, the community, their unity is symbolized by obedience to the spiritual duty of the breaking of bread. Something that's not optional for God's people. I mean, except maybe for a time, right? Here's what communion says. Every time we celebrate communion, here's what it says. We all meet on common ground at the foot of the cross. Doesn't matter what shade of skin, doesn't matter the amount in your savings account, it doesn't matter your vocabulary, it doesn't matter your education level, it doesn't matter your age. We all meet on common ground at the foot of the cross. Communion also says that we acknowledge the wondrous work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Communion says that believers are unified. Communion says self-examination and the purging of sin is a must for the purity of the church. Someone said this, nothing is more vital to the church's ongoing, regular confrontation of sins and the lives of its people than the thoughtful expression of devotion to the remembrance of the cross. So think about this idea of like giving all of our resources to. If we're not giving all of our resources to remembering the cross then we will have nothing to give to the fellowship of the saints. Giving ourselves to be Christ-centered, understanding His work and how that changes the way I respond to my spouse, how that changes the way I make presumptions upon other people and, and judgments upon other people. Like it begins to change the way I think through all of these things. Number four, give yourself to praying. Give yourself to praying. Devote yourself to praying. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were consistently and eagerly engaged in the critical duty of prayer. Someone said this, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Certainly prayer here is not just individual prayers, but certainly corporate prayers as well. Your elders treasure the idea of us praying together, particularly in house gatherings. That's why one of the changes we've made for this year is putting a greater emphasis, emphasis and allotment of time, or one of the ways we do that is by an allotment of time and giving a leader particularly to this cause of our prayer time. And that'd be thoughtful and meaningful and rich. I know in our house gallery, we've had times of confession that have been rich. We have times of admission of struggle and hurt and trying to work through what's going on. And, and we've just had sweet times of prayer. I'm so thankful for it. 
devote yourself to prayer. You see, these things that they were devoted to made the church part of what makes the church so attractive here in these first three decades. But what was happening? What was happening amongst the, the, the saints? Listen, they were demonstrating their love for God in their devotion to Him and to one another. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said this by, in John 13, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another another. I want you to think long and hard with me for just a second. In our culture today, what are Christians known for? I want you to think the good, the bad, and the ugly. What are our, what are our Christians in our culture known for? Maybe, maybe a, a more helpful word. What are evangelicals in our Christian, in our culture known for? Don't shout it out, please. Listen, most of which that comes to my mind makes me angry. Like legitimately angry. Righteously angry, I think. They're known for so many of the wrong things. Now I want you to think, what are you known for? Even this week, this past week. What are you known for to the people around you? Realize, many of these things may not even be bad things. Now, the things that anger me are the bad things, but in our lives, the culture, the Christian culture around us, like it may not, it may not even be bad things. Although many of it, much of it is. It may be good things. It may be even good things that you're known for. But is it painting the most accurate picture? And see the picture that they're painting here. They're devoted to the Word. They were devoted to the Bride of Christ. They were devoted to remembering the cross. And they were devoted to praying to their God. Wow. What would happen in our culture today if the church was known for those four things? What do you think would happen? When people think about those Christians, ah, they're the people that live giving themselves to the word. They die for each other. They keep talking about this thing called a cross. And they talk to God without stopping. Wow. What kind of people are those? Listen, you see, the, the other good things even that we should be doing should flow out of our love for God and love for one another. Radical selflessness is what the people of God should be known for. What if that is what Christians were known for in our culture? Radical selflessness. So here's the question. Why were they radically selfless? Why? Like, how could they be? Very quickly here. First of all, they were radically selfless because they were in awe of God. 
They were in awe of God. I want you to ask yourself this week, in anything that it appears that you're devoted to, I want you to ask this question, am I in awe of God right now? That doesn't necessarily mean that what you're doing then is okay or in the right order. I just want you to ask that question. Am I in awe of God? Is that what's driving what I'm doing? Everyone was filled, verse 43, with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Listen, much awe was inspired by the miracles. We will see some of these miracles in the chapters that follow. They were designed, listen, the miracles though were not just, hey, look, God can do cool things. The miracles served the purpose of drawing attention to and attracting people to the truth. That this is who God is and who has revealed himself to be. So when you think about miracles, you think about God working wondrous things, is it pointing you, is it pointing others to spiritual truth? Listen, God primarily, if not exclusively, performs these signs, not simp- uh, now rather, simply through the prayers of His people. Not quite like signs in the apostolic era, but the greatest miracle ever still happens today. What is that? The rescue of rebellious sinners to be His dearly beloved children. That miracle still happens today. These miracles take place in a healthy church. So what is this awe? If you came to the worship class, we talked a good bit about it, but real quick, a fear or holy terror related to the sense of divine presence. God. Wow. It describes the feeling produced when one realizes that God is at hand. God is here. This this church was so genuine and spiritually powerful that everyone kept feeling a sense of of all, had nothing to do with the building, had nothing to do with the program, had nothing to do with a bunch of people who were just like they were. They were in awe of the supernatural character and the work of God in the church's life. That's what they were in awe about. That's what had their awe. What does it take for this to happen in a church? Listen, it takes everyone walking in the Spirit and using their spiritual gifts for this to happen. But remember, some of us are too busy to read our Bibles. Or too busy to pray. This won't happen if we're not devoted to the right things. Listen, whatever has your all will have your devotion. God had their all. I say they were devoted to the things of God. So it asks you simply, does the Lord have your all? Has He captured your heart? Is that what captures or has captured your heart this past week? Is, is the Lord 
capturing your heart right now? Or does the all of something else have your attention? They were also radically selfless because they were joyful. They were joyful, listen, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Look at this, a group of people praying, sharing, devoted to the Word, unified. It was joyful. They were joyful people, excited people, thankful for what the Lord had done and what the Lord was doing. Listen, joy-filled people or selfless people. You know what it means by like sincere hearts? It means like the idea of like simplicity. Like there was, their hearts were simple. There was no, one person said this, there were no stones of selfishness in their hearts. They were joyful and selfless. Joy-filled people praise the selfless work of God. Did you hear that? Joy-filled people praise the selfless work of God. What were they doing? They were joy-filled people. What were they praising? The work of God. To praise God is to recite His wonderful works and attributes. It is to remember, it is to recite these things of God. They exalted Jesus. And what did that produce? It produced happiness. It produced joy. But listen, those who seek to glorify themselves will never know lasting joy. Joy only comes to those who give God glory. Seek the glory of God and you will find joy and radical selflessness will flow. But let me ask you this question. Where did they get this idea of radical devotion? Where do they get this idea of radical giving away of self? Or as we've termed it today, radical selflessness. Where did they get this from? They got it from Jesus. They got it from Christ. So much of what we do, we've gotten from our parents or from church tradition, and again, not that these things are bad, but listen, they found this, they saw this in Christ. Jesus came radically selfless and gave himself to us. Philippians 2, 5-7 says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Wow. Jesus says to the Father, you sent me into this world, and so for their sake, I sanctify myself. For their sake, I devote myself. You sent me into the world to give myself away for their sake. When Jesus came into the world, he was giving himself away. He was taking his hands off of his life. 
Someone said this. He emptied himself of his glory for you. He became of no reputation so that we could have a name with God for all eternity. He goes on. He lost all love, including His Father's love, while He was on the cross so that we could be loved by the Father forever. Wow. And how could this love become ours? Because he took the punishment for our selfishness. Because he died on the cross for our selfishness. Listen, they were devoted because they were in awe of what God had done. Listen, the gospel says don't hold on to your power, don't hold on to your glory, give yourself away. Why? Because you have everything in Christ. Give it all away. And there's more where that came from. There's more where that came from. Listen, parents, every day, teach your kids, give yourself away. Give yourself away. There's more where it came from. For God... To give himself away changes absolutely everything. Listen, when the early church understood the gospel and the reality of the incarnation, they began to give themselves away. Look at the kind of church this produced. This radical selflessness. This is what was produced. They gave themselves to the teaching of the Word. Gave themselves to dynamic worship. Gave themselves to intimate fellowship with the local church. And they gave themselves to evangelism. To sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, a spirit-filled person will be devoted to all these things. Therefore, a spirit-filled church will be devoted to all these things. And listen, when the broken world around them saw what was happening within this church, these believers, it was attractive. Why? Because it wasn't about programs. It wasn't about marketing. It wasn't about political gain. It wasn't about anything. It was a, that beyond the gospel of Jesus Christ and the implications that that makes for God's people. It was about the radical selflessness of this guy who would come the very Son of God, and laid down His life for His enemies. That's what it was about. That's why it was attractive. It modeled something that the world knows nothing of apart from Jesus Christ. The radical selflessness of the God-man to give Himself for His enemies. Study, study history. You'll see that this idea of, of Christianity and this radical selflessness and giving themselves away fueled and changed so much of the culture in its day. You see the selflessness of God's people. And then what happened in verse 47? 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Listen, effective evangelism was the result of the faithfulness in these spiritual duties. And the Lord added to their number. Don't miss this. It was the Lord doing this, right? He was the one adding. He was the one bringing people to salvation. He was also the one bringing about faithfulness in His people. They were being added. How? They they observed what was going on. The culture began to permeate the culture this church did. So let me ask you this question. You want to see the world change? You want to see issues in our culture receive healing? You want to see co-workers find redemption? Classmates find redemption? See family members find redemption? The Lord added to their numbers as the, conduct, as the conduct of these believers in their community was radically changed and radically different. They were unified. They were joyful. They were spirit-filled people of God. And this was a powerful testimony to the truth of the gospel. Some true evangelism flows from the life of a healthy believer and a healthy church. Listen, radical selflessness is attractive. Why? Because the gospel is the greatest display of radical selflessness. Let's pray. Father, we just have such a strong tendency deep within our bones to protect me, myself, and I, our own little holy trinity, to make sure our pathway is secure, to make sure our dreams are going to happen, to make sure our time is spent our way. And yet, our Savior says, not my will, but yours, my Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have the Savior who comes and radically lays down his life for us. As we think about radical selflessness, may our first thought be the Son come to earth. To live the life that we could not live. He set aside his glory, emptying himself, becoming humble, laying down his life, even to the point of death on the cross, even to the point of his father turning his face away. May that be the first place we go as we think about radical selflessness, that we go to Jesus and to your gospel. Father, may may you give us hope 
for this. May you grant us repentance for the selfishness we have. He was the selfless one, your son Jesus. So may we lean into him. May we find our joy in him. And may we trust that by the Spirit, you will work this out to be true in our lives as well. Father, give you glory. Thank you for the work of your son Jesus on the cross for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.